Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Let's dive in. James chapter 5. We're going to wrap up this series today. I'm excited about this message because this message really hits home I tend to be a little bit of a fretter and a worrier myself. I'm a, I'm a control freak, and that's what happens when you're a control freak. So what we're talking about this morning, if you look in, in your crosswalk notes, is how faith makes us new. That's been the theme all along, but specifically this morning, how faith has the power, Jesus has the power, because faith connects us to Jesus, to transform us from impatient worriers into confident prayers. On Thursday, I send out an email. I think it actually went out on Friday this week. It sometimes does that. And uh, in that email, I asked the question, are you worried enough about how much you worry? Because I think we've gotten used to it. We were, we're so anxious and the, and the levels of stress and worry are so high in our culture, we don't even recognize how much we're worrying because we think that's normal. It's become the new normal, but we don't understand what it's doing to us. I actually did a little research on this. I shared just a little bit of this in the email, but there are actually 22 symptoms of excessive chronic worry. Listen to this. It's crazy. Difficulty swallowing. Who would have thought you wouldn't be able to eat as well if you worry as much? You know, that's a tough problem for me. Difficulty swallowing. All right, I'll go on. Dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea. Any of this sounding familiar to anyone? Nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, Trembling and twitching, suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, muscle tension, short-term memory loss. Now, where was I in this list? <laughs> Premature coronary artery disease and finally may result in a heart attack. That's what worry and anxiety is doing to us physically. And if it's doing that to us physically, can you imagine what it's doing to us spiritually? Talk about a heart attack. What our excessive chronic anxiety and worry is doing to our souls, our spirits, our hearts is massively damaging. And that's why Jesus in his ministry went straight at worry many times over, why the rest of the Bible talks about it. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. The Bible talks about this again and again, and, and not so much from a physical point of view, but think about how God built us that he didn't really build us to be worriers. It causes a lot of harmful effects. But the question is, how do we go from being an impatient worrier to, to being someone who's confident and who lifts our concerns and our problems up to the God who can deal with them for us and with us. 
When I was sharing this with a buddy this past week, he said, man, that just reminds me of a guy that I was sitting next to the plane on one time when I was going to speak at a conference. I was going from my, my place in the Midwest. The plane landed there. We got on. I sat down next to this guy, and we were flying to Orange County, California. And so we started doing the typical chit-chat stuff, where are you from, and all of that. And, and, and my buddy shared, yeah, I'm, I'm from here in the Midwest. And the, the guy just shook his head. He said, I'm so sorry. Uh, it must be miserable. It was about this time of year, so it was brutally cold outside. It just must be horrible. And, and living in a small little city like this, man, in Orange County, where I live, where I'm from, we got so many activities, so many things that you can do, and the weather is perfect every day. It's awesome. It's like heaven. Economy's booming where we're at. This was a few years back, obviously. I, I couldn't imagine a more perfect place to live on an everyday basis, he was sharing. Now, my friend, which he didn't know, had recently read an article in Psychology Today. And in this article in Psychology Today, they had studied the various counties in the United States where people are accessing counselors and therapists because they're so stressed out, so anxious, so worried. Guess which was the number one county in the whole United States for stressed out, anxious, overworked, pressure-packed people who were seeking a therapist? Yep, you guessed it, Orange County, California. So my friend, being the, the guy that he is, never to hide anything that he has picked up along the way in a magazine, says, so I just read this thing in a magazine about your beautiful, heavenly, it's perfect everyday place that that county more than any other county in the state has people seeking out therapy because they're stressed and anxious and worried all the time. And he said when he said that, it was... An amazing thing to watch this guy's face because he had obviously been in I got to impress this other guy mode and all of a sudden it was like reality washed over him and it became obvious in his face. And my friend said, why, why do you think that is? And he said, well, in my experience it's because we're never satisfied as, as good as we have it, we want it to be better. As, as good as we do have it and as perfect as it is, we still have our, our problems and issues. And sometimes in my own life, I just wish that I could have a little bit of peace. I work so hard. My wife works so hard. And I'll, I'll be real with you. I'll be honest. We are both in such high-powered positions that we don't have time for each other anymore. And every time we get together, we argue and we bicker and our marriage is falling apart. Now imagine where this guy had been two minutes earlier. My friend shared this little tidbit from Psychology Today and his, the whole mood of the conversation shifted. My buddy said there was a, a, a little silent, reflective moment. And, and the guy looked back at him and he said, man, I, I, I thought I was going home to heaven. And now I really realize I'm just going home to a big ball of dysfunction. That, that phrase never left my buddy's mind. 
I thought I was going home to heaven. And now I realize I'm just going home to a big ball of dysfunction. Now maybe some of you are sitting here today feeling a little bit like that and you're anxious and you're worried and where's all this going to lead and where's it all going to go? And I want to share what I think is James' secret from chapter 5 right up front with you today. A lot of times I like to leave it till the end, but today I'm going to share it with you up front because it's, it runs through this entire chapter. And it comes from that gentleman's phrase. It's why that story was so right on perfect. I thought I was going home to, do you remember what he said? James is going to tell us today, too many of us are trying to have heaven now. Too many of us are trying to build our lives so that they are filled with comfort and steady certain joy every day, and most of all, peace. Really what I think a lot of us are looking for in our lives, and and why we get just these phenomena of of the, the real estate boom a few years ago, is people are thinking, if I can amass enough wealth, if I can get to a certain level, I'll have enough where I can finally feel at peace. I honestly think you know the big phenomenon of this weekend. If you've watched any news, it's been on every news story. Why are people so wrapped up and head over heels about sex and the 50 shades of gray and all that because we're looking, there's a hole in our hearts that wants to find, even if it's just for a moment, a sense of peace. And, and you know what? Partly that's because God has built us that way. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, we learn not only that there is a God-shaped hole in every person's heart, but also that there's an eternity-shaped hole in every one of our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the human heart. There is a God-placed yearning and longing for eternal peace and joy that God placed there so that we would try to fill that and then come to understand it can only be filled by one. Now, in the meantime, we're like the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places, but instead it's looking for peace in all the wrong places. And and a real important truth for us to understand is what James is going to teach us today, that if we want less worry, less anxiety in our lives, understand that Jesus has built heaven in heaven for us, And meanwhile, our peace and our joy, our comfort is never going to be permanent in this life. And rather than peace, what we'd better seek is perseverance while we're here so that we can get through to the eternal peace and joy that Jesus has built for us. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will return. And take you to be with me where I am. 
My Father's house has many rooms built for you where you will experience true heaven, true peace, lasting joy. But be patient until that moment. Now, as we dive into chapter 5, we need to start with where we left off last week in chapter 4 and understand the God who is saying, be patient for heaven to come. Understand his heart. And do you remember some of the things that James taught us last week? Pastor Dan brought them out. But he gives us more grace. This is our God. Our God loves us. And, it, and it's with a love that is so perfect and so permanent. If you know what grace is, one way that I've heard it divine that I absolutely love is grace is that kind of love that there's nothing you and I can do to make God love us more and there's nothing that you and I can do to make God love us less. What an amazing position to be in. No, no sin I ever commit is gonna make God love me less or you less. No good work or, or good action that I do is ever going to make God love me more because God is love. He loves proactively, not reactively. Grace is a giving love, a relentless love, a love that every day when we sin, we can tap into, take our sins to the cross, and know without any shadow of a doubt, we're going to hear Three words, you are forgiven. Isn't that amazing? That answer is never going to change. Lord, I am sorry for my sins, what I've done when I've rebelled against you, when, I, when I've hurt others I love in my life, when I have not lived up to, to the commandments, when I have not loved you above all things, my neighbor as myself. Please forgive me. God's answer, because his love never changes, God's answer never changes. It's always, yes, I Forgive you, and I always will. When we're going through a rough patch in life, when we're entering a place in our journey where there's suffering and darkness and hardship and brokenness, the God who gives us more grace says, I know that, I know that darkness, I know that suffering, I felt that pain, and I'm there with you, and I love you, and I will walk powerfully walk with you through this pain and this suffering. I will give you more grace. And I hate seeing you splayed flat out on the ground, broken. I hate that, your Savior says. I will always lift you up. Do you see what, he, what James tells us? Remember, this is the brother of Jesus. The, the person who grew up in the same house with Jesus, who watched Jesus act and talk, who, who got to know him on a very tight basis. Look at what he says. But Jesus gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord. You don't have to be strong because Jesus is strong and he will lift you up. Will you write this in? People who put their faith in Jesus and in his grace are confident that he will lift them up. You want to be confident instead of worried all the time? You want to feel sure about your future instead of anxious about your future? Tap into these promises. He gives us more grace and he will lift us up. That's 
beautiful stuff. Now, James goes on from there into chapter 5, and I, I'm, I'm going to motor through this. It's longer sections. I, I, uh, I can't touch on every element of, of these sections, but I'm going to break this down into three truths for you that, that I, I think are so important. To understand this first section, it's going to sound to your ears, as it did to mine, very harsh. Because James gets very direct here. He, he sounds like an Old Testament prophet. And here's the reason for this. Remember the history of this letter. James is writing this to Christians who've been scattered outside of Jerusalem. And that was done by these immense persecutions that started during the time of Stephen, shortly uh, after, after Jesus uh, was ascended into heaven and then the apostles and the, the disciples were gathered in Jerusalem building uh, a church in Jerusalem. And uh, the Jewish uh, believers reject, who rejected Christianity uh, and, and remained with their Old Testament faith saw this as false teaching and they began to persecute those who taught that Jesus Christ is the long-promised Messiah. That persecution got so serious and so bad that most of those Christians started to scatter throughout the Roman Empire. And they're scattering to places where they're now vastly in the minority and not just in a culture where they're surrounded any longer by their fellow Jews, but by people who have other gods. They're, they're in a, a very polytheistic society, many gods. Um, the Romans had built up a lot of power and wealth for themselves. And if you've recalled, because we pointed this out to you, often as James addresses those Christians, he says, my brothers and sisters. But in this section, he doesn't say my brothers and sisters. And I really believe who he's addressing here, like an Old Testament prophet, is the unbelieving rich. The, the people whom the Christians now live among, uh, scattered throughout the empire. And he has some pretty harsh words for them. And I, I think partly this is to comfort the believers who are continuing to be apparently persecuted and oppressed by the wealthy. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. See, what I think that James is talking about here is people who, because they have no other real alternative are seeking to build their heaven now. And their life has become about gathering and accumulating wealth so that they can have their peace and their comfort and their joy and their happiness right here, right now. They have no faith in Christ. They have no hope of heaven. So their idea is, let's get things together so that we can eat, drink, and be merry right here, right now. And they don't care. It's survival of the fittest. Whatever they have to do to others to make their heaven right here and right now, well, that's just what we got to do. Because we're seeking our own happiness, not the happiness of others. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. 
The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Clearly, they weren't even paying the people that they had working for them. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have your heaven. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one. Innocent people around you, you don't care if it even ends up in them being dead as long as you get your heaven now. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And I believe there was also a second reason why James wrote this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That when we, as scattered Christians, live among neighbors who have a culture of building heaven now because they don't know Jesus, something odd can happen to us too. That instead of us being salt and light and sharing Jesus and the true peace of Jesus with the world, we begin to be influenced by the world around us. And we begin to feel like we need to build our heaven now too. Why wait? No one else around us is waiting. You know, there's a a beautiful bumper sticker that I think is very much a part of what James is trying to teach us. And I'm not normally a fan of bumper sticker theology, but this is a good one. You might find it even on a coffee cup. No Jesus, no peace. Have you ever seen that one? And how's it spelled the first time? K-N-O-W, no Jesus, and you'll know peace. If you recognize Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, your God, you will know peace because you know he is the God of grace who will lift you up. But the second part of the saying is, no Jesus, no peace. And do you know how it's spelled the second time? N-O. If you have no Jesus in your heart, if you have no Jesus in your life, if you do not know him as your Savior, your Lord, your God, Ultimately, you will not have the peace that you're seeking in so many other things. James knew that even though that sounds and looks very good from a coffee cup, there's a a very deep truth to that. If we know Jesus, we will know peace. If we have no Jesus, we will have no peace. And he's reaching out to these Christians. And I, I got to thinking about this. I wonder what I did with that. I was preparing the message to this week and, um, and I, I cut my finger on a broken glass and I went immediately to my bathroom cabinet and I got this out. I know you can't read it. Um, it's a little, a little uh, tube of triple antibiotic. James was writing to a group of people that he calls rich people who never had one tube of triple antibiotic that they could put on their cut and keep it nice and clean and uninfected the way that we can. Did anyone here yesterday (laughs) debate whether or not to turn the air conditioning on in their home or their car when it hit about 85? No one to whom Jesus wrote had a machine that could perfectly control the climate inside their home or their car and make it just the right temperature for their comfort. No one James was talking to 2,000 years ago 
had a Costco that they could go and buy their groceries from. If, if we would take a 2,000-year person and put them into a Costco, they would probably go catatonic. They wouldn't know what to do with it. And I realize we don't compare ourselves to the people of 2,000 year, uh, years ago. We compare ourselves to our neighbors from today. But it is important, I think, once in a while to step back and look at the amazing blessings, physical blessings as well as spiritual blessings that God gives us today in our world. We are the most physically blessed, wealthy uh, people in the history of the world. And to realize we got to check ourselves so that we don't try to build our heaven here. Because that's what's causing so much anxiety is when we are attempting to build heaven here and it falls short of the heaven we perceive our neighbor has or the heaven that we envisioned ourselves having at a certain point. I talk to people all the time who have a little calendar in their mind. By the time I'm 35, I'm going to have this much in savings and I'm going to live in that kind of house. I'm going to drive that kind of car. Really? How do you know that? And when they fall short, they're just like utterly depressed and worried what's going wrong. Because we're trying to build heaven here. So write this down. Faith and confidence in God's grace says don't waste time, energy, or emotion on accumulating stuff for stuff's sake. Now, having stuff, we tend, we tend to categorize people as rich or poor. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't have two categories. The Bible has four. So in the Bible, you will find wealthy people who are faith-filled and trust Jesus and who use their wealth in a way to bless the kingdom because they realize gratefully that they have been so blessed. In the Bible, you will also find examples of faithless wealthy people. King Ahab, some of the people in the, the, the New Testament who were tax collectors before they became believers. There, there is in the Bible a category of people who are wealthy but unbelieving. And their goal is accumulate it for themselves. Same with poor people. There are believing poor people like that widow who gave everything that she had. Wasn't much, but it was everything that she had. And there are unbelieving poor people as well, like the people who followed Jesus around saying, Being our, be our bread king, be our bread king. All we really want to follow you for, Jesus, stop talking about that spiritual stuff, man. Make some more bread, make some more fishes for us. So given that, that fact that biblically there are four categories, we're not here today to say if you've been amazingly blessed, that's horrible. Thank God for it, enjoy it. And use it to give back to the kingdom and, and spread Jesus in the world. And if you're on the other end of the spectrum, trust God. If you're struggling financially right now, know that God is taking care of you and can take care of you. Accumulating stuff for stuff's sake is never going to bring happiness. It's when we recognize that the stuff that we have been given is God's 
and that we are here just simply as managers and stewards to take care of it, that we get a lot more joyful and a lot less worried. And that's what James says next. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Will you underline that phrase? That's so important. James is saying this. Wait for it. Or, as we say it in today's world, wait for it. Wait for it. Because we're, we're not to build heaven here. Jesus is bringing heaven with him when he returns. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, and I I bolded it this time because it's such an important thought, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Patience and perseverance is what we pray for as we go through this life that is filled with struggles and hardships. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. See, when we get worried, we start to get grumpy. That doesn't happen to any of you? Sure happens to me all the time. I get worried, I get anxious, and then I get grumpy. Right? We're going through Exodus right now in our daily readings together as a church. Talk about grumpy people. The Israelites on the way from Egypt to the promised land had 40 years of grump on because they were constantly impatient for the promised land. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Remember Jeremiah? prophesying the word of the Lord to the Israelites and the people around Israel. And what did he get for it? Thrown in a nasty, dark, wet cistern, a pit in the ground where they stored water with a little swamp at the bottom of it and thrown loaves of bread that he could eat until they forgot about him entirely. That's the reward he got. And James says, it didn't stress him because he knew heaven is not now, heaven is coming. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We underline those words. Those are so, that's gospel. That's that's pure reassurance. No matter what difficulty you're going through now, maybe you're facing health problems or marriage problems or problems with your kids or your kids have problems with you or, or you've lost a job or your boss is just a jerk, whatever it is. The Lord doesn't change. His heart toward you is full of compassion and mercy. He feels you. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. What happens when we get impatient? Now, this swearing is not the cussing swearing. When we get impatient, yeah, we cuss sometimes, but that's not what he's talking about. Don't swear is making promises you don't know that you can keep. Oh, I promise. I'm going to get that done. Oh, yeah, I know how to do that. I've read all these entrepreneur magazines. One of the little threads through there is tell them you can do it even if you can't because you want to get the job and you'll figure it out. Right? Make promises you don't even know that you can keep. 
James says, don't do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Make true commitments, not commitments that are false because you're trying to build heaven on earth. You see what he's saying will happen to us? How it, we talked about 22 physical symptoms of being worried and anxious all the time. James talks about four powerful spiritual symptoms if we're worried all the time. Write this down. Faith and confidence in God's grace says there's no need, and here are those symptoms, for worry, impatience, grumpiness, and grumbling, or false assurances. So what do we do if life is not going to be heaven? That's how James ends his letter, chapter 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Can I just ask you a simple question? How are you doing with that? Is that your default? When you get in trouble, when things get stressful and you can tell it's too much for you, is your default to just stop for a moment and talk to God? Or is your default to go, I got to get going. I got to solve this. And you rev yourself up and you tell yourself, there's only one solution to my problems and that's me. And you work at it. And I'm not saying that working at solving your problems is a sin in and of itself. But do we commit the sin of immediately bypassing talking to God first? As James tells us here. Stop a moment. Quiet yourself before the Lord. And pray. Just talk to God and pour out your heart to him. Read the Psalms. David does that all the time. And all day long. That's King David. He had all kinds of problems. But he built lots of nice little prayer breaks into his day. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? You're blessed right now. Things are going well. Let them sing songs of praise. Say, thank you, Jesus. You're so good to me. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. James has two solutions to times of trouble as he wraps up chapter five. Do you know what those two solutions are? Number one, prayer. And as we read through the rest of this, number two is tap into the fellowship. How many times has James said, brothers and sisters, Tap into the church. The church is your place. You know, I find it so interesting that we get into trouble and we tend to isolate ourselves. We don't want anyone else to know, especially not our our fellow believers to know. And so that thing, real people, real faith, that's a nice tagline, but we don't live it. We don't get real with our brothers and sisters. Because, hey, you know what? Come next Sunday, I'm going to have to face them again. And I don't want them to know what I'm going through. I don't want to burden them with that. I don't want them looking down on me as a weak person, uh, a person who doesn't get it, who, who doesn't have the joy of Jesus all the time. I don't want them to know. And so we stop being real and we firmly plant the mask on. And we don't tell our brothers and sisters in Christ what we're going through. Why is that? Many of you have friends here at church. 
And we're not even sharing with each other. You have a growth group leader that you know well. You have a ministry team leader that you've gotten to know. You've got a staff that loves you. You have pastors that love you. You see what James says? Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church. Today we would call those ministry team leaders, growth group leaders. We actually have a team of guys we call elders to care for you and and love on you spiritually. Call them and have them pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Church is awesome, you guys. Because it's a group of people that come together to be real and authentic and pray for each other and lift each other up. We're the hands and the feet of the Jesus who wants to show more grace and who wants you to be lifted up. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Awesome. Maybe you're not sharing because you feel guilty and ashamed of what you've done. Maybe you think... Wow, I don't want anybody to know of that darkness in my heart. James says, resist that impulse to hide and to hide your sin. Take it to people you can trust. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing is what's important. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We come together and we're all made righteous in the blood of Christ. Jesus says when we pray for each other, when I pray as a person who's been made righteous in the blood of Christ, that prayer is powerful and effective. And he gives us an example like he did before. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, there it is again, we're brothers and sisters. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's the whole mission of the church that James ends on. We're here to make sure not one of us gets left behind, not one of us gets lost because of sin. And I want to I want to give you the fill-in, then I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to add a few things, because I think this is important based on what James is telling us. So let's do this. Faith and confidence in God's grace says pray confidently, knowing that your prayers are powerful. And pray together, because we're church. We're brothers and sisters. And here's what I want to tell you about that. This church is an awesome church. And God has given us, God has given you this church as a gift. He's given me this church as a gift. He's given church in general as an amazing gift where we can come together. And as a group of people say, we don't have to build heaven on earth because Jesus is bringing us heaven now to remind each other of that. And then in church is where you get these little foretastes of heaven in the love of your brothers and sisters, in the prayers of your brothers and sisters. And I know many of you, and, and I, don't, I don't go off on this tangent very often, but today I'm going to. 
Many of you have amazing causes that you support with your talents, with your service, and with your wealth. And that's beautiful. I I love that. I am not criticizing that in the least. But here's what I also want to say. Where else is there a family of people that you can support with your talent, your service, and your wealth that wants, just like you do, to help others truly fill that hole in their heart, that eternity-shaped hole in their heart, and get people to heaven? What other thing that we can support with our, our time and our talents and our treasures wants what James says here, to turn a sinner from the error of their way, save them from death, and cover over a multitude of sins. And like I said, this is not something I get this direct about very often, but today I'm gonna, because I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that there is no better place for you to be returning in thanks to God what God has first given you, the God who wants to give you more grace, the God who will lift you up, is that you lift this church up. And there are principles that we talk about from the Bible that talks about lifting your church up and, and, and giving back to God by giving to his bride, the church. And I want to share just a couple of those as we close today. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, command your church to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share within the church and of course outside the church in the community too. And I want to ask you this, are you, are you do you have a value and a goal, a God-pleasing value and goal of being generous with your talents? Is, is generosity something that you espouse? the kind of person that you want to be, a sharing person who sees the church, your church, Crosswalk Church, as a place, as an outlet for your generosity. God wants that. He tells Timothy, command them to do it, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Generosity is the heart of God, and God wants you and I to reflect that in our hearts. Next one, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. One of the interesting things I I find about not only this church, but many churches, is it's not difficult to get people to serve occasionally. It's not difficult to get people to, to, to give occasionally. But do you see what, what's being said here? That our serving and our giving is something that God wants us to do, not just occasionally, but regularly. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthians, do it weekly. If, if we have a Levine barbecue and we need 100 volunteers for the Levine barbecue because it's a once-a-year event, no problem. We'll fill that up with volunteers. And I'm so proud of our church for that. We had so many T-shirts at the Levine barbecue last week, and it was awesome. And, you know my favorite word is and. And God says there needs to be a place in all of our hearts, in all of our lives for regular serving. 
and regular giving to the Lord through your church. And notice what he says in keeping with your income, meaning it, factor that in, it should be a proportion or a percentage of your income. I want to ask you honestly to examine your own heart right now. Do you know what percentage of your income you're returning to the Lord through this church? Do you know what it is? Could you tell me, Pastor, for me, it's 3%. For me, it's 5 For me, it's 8 For me, it's 10 Do you know what it is? You see, what, what Paul is teaching us here is we need to know what that is and then develop a value of generosity and wherever it is. Old Testament, it was, here's the rule, 10%. New Testament, it is, be generous, be of generous heart, start somewhere. Start with 1% or 2% or 3% and then as you develop, as the Holy Spirit develops a more generous heart in you, walk that up and maybe one day you'll walk it up past 10%. It might even be 15 or 20 or 25 or 30% if God has so blessed you in keeping with your income. The final one is this. Here's why we give. Yes, we give because the church is a beautiful place and it's on an amazing mission. We have a vision to to bring sinners in and to bring the lost in. To, to help people become fully developed followers of Christ. We give to the church, and that's, that's right, but mainly, do you see why we give? We give to our church to honor God, to thank God for all he's blessed us with. Everything we have, after all, is his. And we are such physically blessed people. And then, right in line with today's message, One of the things that worry and anxiety creates in us is an inability to give our first fruits. To actually take that paycheck that we receive and go, before I go anywhere else with this paycheck, before I spend a dime of this paycheck, even a penny of this paycheck, I'm starting by carving out the percentage I've decided ahead of time to give to God, and I'm giving that first. Before I pay my bills, before I buy my groceries, before I make my car payment, before I give my children their allowance, I'm going to give to God first. This is the way, this is the way that we learn not only to be generous people, but people who stop building heaven now and wait for God to deliver heaven when he returns. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessings that you've poured out on us. And I pray that today's message helps people with their anxiety and their worry, which is so damaging to us physically, yes, but even more spiritually. Lord, take our worry away and help us to trust us that you are the Savior who will every day show us more grace and lift us up. You are the Savior who forgives us our sins and gives us your righteousness. You are the savior who walks with us through our suffering and hardship and darkness because you've been there yourself. You are a God of compassion and mercy. Lord, as we are confident now in you, help us to be more generous hearted and to give back to you through your bride, the church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I'll say it again, the most natural thing in the world is for us to want to have peace now and joy now and even heaven now because it tells us right in the Bible, God has set eternity in our hearts. There is a heaven-shaped hole in your heart and in mine. But James tells us so wisely, wait for it, be patient Jesus is going to deliver heaven to you. And in the meanwhile, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Instead, be confident in him, the God who gives you more grace and who will, who will lift you up. Talk to him in prayer and enjoy the fellowship that he gives you in your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.